0: So I found out something during the meet and greet today, so I just wanted to share that with you. Some people don't move because they're lazy. (laughs) Yeah, so there was this big disclosure moment that just happened this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. I always used to have this thing in student ministries where I would never embarrass anyone. That was just not who I was. I would never do that, but sometimes I would stand in the general vicinity of someone, and then that way I wasn't purposely embarrassing them, but it would it would be a general idea that someone in this general zone is not necessarily moving during meeting and greeting. And it wouldn't be the pastor because he's a very social butterfly, but maybe someone in this general zone. I'm not saying who, but if you want to meet and greet someone who's extremely... <laughs> fun and fabulous. Let me tell you, there's some people that you just got to move to them because they're kind of anchored in, and it's just comfortable, and it's kind of a game for them, you know, to come find them. So I just want to tell you guys, get out there and move. Don't just hang in your general orca pod zone. You know, you kind of you kind of migrate to your zone, and then you just social with, oh, I got, oh. I think you know, no, free willy all the way over to the other side and then come up. And then look, there's some actual pods roaming in the upper peninsula. Go migrate up there. See, I love that Jeff's up there and his wife is down here. That is, that is a great connection right there. Uh, I hope that's on by design. If not, we, we have counseling available and uh, we would love to talk to you guys afterwards. Um, you know, today is the f- July 1st, and, and that's a celebratory day, right? That means summer's here, and some of you are fanning already. Thank you, Candace. you're fanning. Um, those puppies are actually installed, but they're not powered yet. So it's kind of like a trick. It's like, see, almost air conditioning, but not really. And I, wanna, I take credit for that, that they're not powered. It's on my fault, but we are working on that, and our goal is to actually have them done by summer, but since summer has actually started, I can't really clarify when that will be, but soon. So please be patient and pray for me as I apologize that massive projects take a lot longer. And um, I can tell you, I'm really... It's taking a lot of love, time, and energy just to do a massive project. But we're close. The installation of the units is done, and they should be powered up here very soon. And hopefully you guys will have free-flowing cold air, and you can celebrate. Because at our house, the AC broke, and it's no longer free flowing and sleep has gone out the window with that. So I, I got to take care of that today. I know, but I'm excited because today is July 1st and you all know what July 1st is, right? It's not just July 4th. It's my one year anniversary here. Ah, come on, let's go people. I survived one year with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Upper Road. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rainier. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the most fun that a guy could possibly have. Me and Jen have had such a, an amazing first year with y'all, and we cannot wait to see what the rest of it has in store. But um yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And um it hasn't really slowed down, and I hope it doesn't, but we've 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 seen a lot of really amazing things from large scale baptisms to large scale child dedications to just a lot of really incredible things. And so we want to just thank you guys for letting us be part of all that and just encourage you. Um, the best is definitely yet to come. And so please keep coming and hanging out with us on Sundays, Wednesdays and life groups, whatever it is, and uh we'll continue to see what the Lord has in store because I can tell you as a fisherman uh, I just show up, put a line in, and let the Lord create the entertainment. And for me, nothing better than being at church and having that anticipation that the Lord's going to do something every Sunday, right? We are in a great series. I hope you guys are enjoying the series in the book of James, where Jesus' half brother is getting the chance to tell us what it's like to, to go from being a non-believer, someone who's kind of antagonistic to faith. To someone who's a follower of Christ. And as he kind of walks through each book, I don't know if you kind of noticed that, but even in the very first book as he's talking about wisdom dealing with adversity. Remember in chapter one, when we're dealing with adversity, he kind of broke out this pearl of wisdom about this, uh, James one five. If, if you don't have wisdom, all you have to do is ask God who's more than willing to give it generously. Right? And then in chapter 2, he talked about favoritism and how we're supposed to deal with people. Once again, wisdom is how that applies, how you deal with someone. If someone comes in and looks a certain way or doesn't look a certain way, how you treat them, it's going to be wisdom again. So it makes sense as we're in chapter 3. Last week, we talked about the value of words and the idea that whether those words you were speaking were either building someone up or tearing someone down. And so today we're going to just finish the continuum with 13 through 18 with the wisdom to see how those words need to be applied, right? It's it's knowledge, it's having the ability to have information on one side, but God's wisdom on the second side to how to apply that. And then next week as we pick up chapter 4, it'll be wisdom and motivations. And so there's just this wonderful theme uh, going throughout the book of James, and I hope that you're kind of picking it up. But for me, it all goes back to that first chapter and that first verse. If you're lacking wisdom, if you are someone who is struggling with just general wisdom today, we are going to clarify the difference between God's wisdom, which will be clarified as divine wisdom, and man's wisdom. So no matter what you hear today, and I know if you're looking at your notes, maybe other than Cheryl, the rest of you are thinking there's no way that you can fill in all those notes. And so let me just clarify I, my goal is not that you can fill in all the notes but I want to challenge you with the notes to do something. Fill in what you think is important. Fill in what you think kind of speaks to you with the notes, and then take your notes to your life group, which we're using our life groups and the notes there, and then see what other people fill in and use it as kind of an opportunity to challenge yourself with your life group, to create conversation, create opportunities to find greater application. Because I know for me... Certain parts of this message really resonate, and that's kind of just where my heart sits. But it's filled, even though it's only five verses, with lots of information. So do what you can to fill out what's important, and then uh, you'll get some additional help from your friends. If not, uh, usually Cheryl's the only person who tries to fill out the entirety of notes. You guys can come cross-reference from Cheryl if need be. Uh, but for the rest of this, I don't think you're going to be able to fill them all out. So get what you can, and hopefully your small groups can get the rest of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now, ask that he be with us this morning as we turn to him and continue studying James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, divine wisdom. Father God, we're so blessed and encouraged by the month of July, and just what it represents, the the fact that we get to look back and see your hand on just all the different events of the year. And uh, I know for me, when I get a chance to preach, there's, there's always a lot of different things that happen, but I get a chance to look back over this last year and just see how faithful you've been to, to me, to this church, and to the legacy of this church, Father. And I'm so grateful. And I know that you know just every opportunity is a struggle to be a church. There's opportunities for things to watch on TV, and there's places to go. And we live in a town that provides lots of different uh, opportunities to go and do different things. But any time we come here, I just feel like there 's this wonderful blessing that you have, and so I really do pray for your wisdom this morning that we can see the difference between man 's wisdom and your wisdom and, and really hear from your brother 's heart as he wrote this letter to us to say, I was really someone who was opposed to Jesus, and then I had a second chance and It means, it means so much to me to share these these things that i 've discovered and Father, I just pray that Spirit would help us to see these things embrace these things and then try to figure out how we could actually put them into motion. Because as we kind of figure that whole thing out, that really is the bottom line. It's not just knowing, but it's the actual, the doing of these things that kind of sets us free to see the value of them. May everything that we continue to say and do bring honor and glory to and through that amazing son of yours, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So once again, the goal of chapter three and the goal of everything that James was talking about was to identify true teachers which is the idea of true faith and true religion. And so as he started last week, with Eric's teaching on uh, one through 12, um, the words that come out of your mouth will always by default be either building up or tearing down. And so there was this stern two times warning to say, regardless of whether or not you see yourself as a teacher or not, you are. And so anytime you open your mouth and you speak, be considered to the fact that when you speak, are you either using the words of life to build that person up Or break that person down. And so the continuum of that as he goes through 13 through 18, he says, In order for you to truly understand how this works, you're going to have to understand whose wisdom you are using with these words that you have. And he's going to clarify good wisdom from bad wisdom as being divine and mankind. So let's read. I'm going to be reading um, NIV. And let me just read the whole passage and then we'll go back through and we'll kind of digest each verse. Starting in 13. Who is wise... And understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then do not boast about it or deny the truth. God bless you. Such wisdom, 15, does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it is demonic. 16. For where you have envy, selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Then 18, peacemakers who sow in peace, who reap a harvest of righteousness. So what James is going to do, first of all, is he's going to clarify something. The idea of being someone who has knowledge means someone who has a general baseline of information. But it doesn't mean just because you can speak or that you're an eloquent, eloquent speaker that you have wisdom. He's going to say there's much more to speaking than just general knowledge. The qualifications require that you have both knowledge, general information, and wisdom, which is going to be the application of that information. So it's kind of like referencing what Proverbs 1, 7 says. In the beginning, it's important for you to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and that fools often despise wisdom and instruction. So what he's saying is, you start off with this first component. Who is it that you fear? Where is it that just your general knowledge is even coming from? And do you understand the connection between general knowledge and how you have it, and wisdom and the two connections? Because if your first component is that you're fearing man more than you do God, you're already in a difficult situation. The fear of man would result in something like, the Bible says, why would you fear man? Although he can take your life, he can't take your soul. So you need to have consideration for who God is. And that's why he goes on to say things like, the Lord is the one that we need to fear. The Lord is the one who's responsible for our soul. And he discusses that with the kind of wisdom that says, think about someone like Solomon, you guys recall how wise Solomon was? Solomon had the opportunity in a prayer to ask for anything he wanted from God. And do you remember what he prayed for? Wisdom and knowledge. And that's what's so important. The two cannot be disconnected and the two must be connected. Because as he prayed for both wisdom and knowledge, not only did, not, not only did the Lord grant that, but along with that, he granted everything else, right? Solomon then went on to write, Most of the Psalms, most of the Proverbs, and all the wisdom stuff that we have flows from him. He also became one of the richest people in the world and had a myriad of other things because the connection was between both the knowledge and the wisdom. That's why when he wrote the proverb, he says, how much better is it to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver? That made perfect sense to a man whose commodity was a cave of every known treasure there was, gold, silver, ruby, jewels, whatever. And he said, I already have a myriad of all these different things, but these things are all waste compared to the wisdom of God. But when you offer that kind of wisdom today to the world, is it wonder why the world thinks it's foolishness? What would you rather have, a gold bar or wisdom from God? I'm sure the world would quickly say, I'd rather have gold, because their mindset is on the things of temporal And so James says, here's the most important thing. Knowledge, just basic general information in and of itself, is not enough. A lot of people know things. And that's why this whole generation is fascinated with things like Siri, which makes me want to say, are you serious? You know, Siri, that's as good as it gets. Well, actually, it has gotten better. For Eric, he has Alexa, so he doesn't even have to ask Siri anything. He can ask Alexa to do anything he wants, and she can do whatever she wants. And so the world has these sources that they literally ask for general knowledge, and they can get it, right? But what's one thing we realize about that is this completely void of wisdom, right? And that's part of the conundrum that the world's falling in. They have, they have fallen in love with knowledge, but it's knowledge void of wisdom because the connection point for this is wisdom. Now, wisdom says wisdom is not only just the ability to know something, but the ability to use that something correctly, Now, that's going to be a huge connection point that James is going to make. Now, remember, James grows up being what? Antithesis, opposed to faith. He grows up using his words to antagonize his brother, right? And then after the resurrection, he sees who his brother is. And now he knows the difference between what he's talking about and how he can use his words for different things. And so he's speaking from a point of reference saying, I've been on both sides of the coin and I've seen this. There's a big difference between knowing and understanding how to use that information. And so that's going to be huge. As we transition into the reading, he says, what's going to happen is it's going to show by two things. A good life and deeds done in humility. Now, a good life. The concept of a good life is that you, it allows a person to turn to the truth and embrace it. A good life is, is not just saying um, truth is an optional. But the truth now becomes this high priority. The knowledge of God now says, whatever I have to do to embrace truth... It's no longer relative to me. The truth is no longer relative. I'm going to pursue that because that's where the good life is. And the results of pursuing that good life is that the deeds that I actually do can be done in humility. I'm not going to be doing those deeds to get on top of people or to be getting somewhere. I'm going to be doing those things to do those in humbleness. Now, when you hear the word humility, often we think of like timidity, but this is not that word. This is the word strength under control. This is the same word of like a a workhorse or an oxen, a large animal of strength that's under control, right? So what he's saying is the ability to have knowledge and wisdom gives you the ability to control something, have something, and then put it under control so that it can be used for good. And he says that's going to be kind of the results of this life. If someone is wise among you, these are the things that they will show, But he says, if they don't show these things, then in verse 14, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, now, bitter envy, when he talks about bitter envy, he's not just talking about jealousy or not just about having something. He's talking about the threat that you feel like you're constantly going to be losing something. And because you're constantly going to be losing something, you feel like you always have to be protecting everything. You're constantly holding on. Now, um, I don't remember the cartoon, but there was some seagulls and they they said this little phrase, Mine. Mine, mine, right? Nemo. Nemo, right. Thank you, Nemo. You know, it's, it's mine. If I don't protect it and I don't hold on to it, then someone else is going to get it. And so the person who's using this kind of jealousy from mankind is going to be constantly, that rivalry will be part of everything they do. So if you're dealing with someone who's rivalry with you with like, no matter what you do with them, it never feels like you can work together with them, but you're always at rivalry with them. Chances are they're using man's wisdom and not God's wisdom because that's part of what they're prone to think. I have to hold on to everything. I have to control everything. If I don't, it will slide away. I will lose it. So that bitter envy kind of comes into that. Along with that, what else happens? Selfish ambition, selfish ambition. He says, selfish ambition is the result of saying, I want you to know about me. I want you to hear about what I think. I want to promote my name above your name. So it doesn't matter what God's word says. It doesn't matter what other people think. I'm, I'm more interested in me. And man alive is, if we don't see that in the world today, I don't know what you see, but I see a lot of that, a lot of selfish ambition. You compare that to divine wisdom, which says he must increase and I must decrease. There's two different types of wisdom being shown here. And you can see how they're completely opposed to one another. You can't really have one of one and one of the other. They're in direct opposition to each other. They don't work together. They're not meant to be together. And what happens from this situation? It moves into something even worse. It creates a situation where all of a sudden they become able to boast. That selfish ambition leads to the opportunity to boast. And now you're talking about arrogance. Now you're talking about the ability to say, I've won before the ballots have even been counted. It talks about feeding into what man wants, the idea that whatever he has to do, he does it. Now, I think this is probably the reason why a shoe company called Nike is so successful. It really feeds into kind of the idea, just do it, right? Think about how that resonates with mankind. Do whatever it takes to be successful. Stomp on people, step on people, use people, go the extra mile. Whatever it takes, just do it. The end justifies the mean. It's totally worthwhile. Whatever it takes, even if you go back to the beginning and deny the truth or whatever it takes, just do it. It's worth it, right? That kind of arrogance is definitely not opposed to God. That's, direct, excuse me, that's directly opposed to God's wisdom because the next situation of that, it's going to cause you to what? Deny the truth. To deny the truth. Now, as a fisherman, I can tell you this. This weekend, I went fishing with the guys Uh, They were the older guys, and one of the things the older guys will help you do is help you hold the line when you catch a fish. If it's not the legal limit, boy, will they let you know. And that's really good because I was keeping fish for somebody else, and I usually don't keep fish at all. But a lot of times when you get a fish, if it's not the right size, there's ways you can fold them and bend them and whatever to deny the truth of its actual size. (laughs) So your 12-inch fish can be 14 if that's the legal limit if you bend or distort it. But um, thanks to Don Dickey and Joe and, and the group that I was with, that was not available. So um, they reminded me quickly that that was what they call a short. And I didn't really care. I don't keep fish, but Tony loves to eat fish and feed his neighbors or whatever. So I was just throwing fish in the bag. But they, they saw it, and my shoe is a 14, so I dropped it down, and it was one inch short. So I said, cool, no big deal. Put him back in the water, revived him, and set him free. That, that's just a normal day fishing. It's really not that big of a deal. But yesterday... Uh, since the beach had just opened up to fishing, the Department of Fish and Game was there watching us fish. And as I left yesterday, I was interviewed by the DFG, and they went over all my catches for the day. And boy, was I grateful for the wisdom of Don and and (laughs) Joe and all that, because I didn't really care. I wasn't keeping anything anyways. But if I had denied the truth and I had thrown that fish in the bag, then I would have stuck Tony with either saying... He caught it. Now, he's a nice guy. He might have taken one for the team for Pastor Jeff, or I would have had to say, no, that's on me, right? And that's a $250 fine for keeping it short, and it goes one mark against your your DFT record, which means they could suspend your fishing license for a year. So I was really grateful that the d- divine wisdom from my, my older fishing crew helped keep me accountable. But you know what? So often people say, when it comes to man's wisdom, whatever you gotta do, however you gotta fudge things to deny the truth, as long as the end justifies the meaning, because if you really wanted the fish and you just wanted to eat it, then do whatever it takes. But that's not what God's wisdom says. As you keep reading there, it says, this wisdom, starting in verse 15, this kind of wisdom, such wisdom, this does not come down from heaven, But in fact, this is earthly and spiritual and demonic. Now, all three of these are pretty harsh, but each one of them has a very specific meaning. So the first one, when he talks about earthly, when he's talking about an earthly perspective, he's talking about a perspective that's completely void of God. So when we talk about a perspective of God, we're talking about what's called the vertical perspective, us and God. So when he's saying a void perspective, he's talking about a horizontal perspective. It's just about man what man thinks, what man wants, what man does. So he's saying people that want to think this way, earthly, and live this way, void of this relationship, that's not God's wisdom. They can extend it out as far as they want, and they can do whatever they want. But at some point, they realize without any kind of vertical relationship, without God in the picture, it's void. And by, by default, a relationship void of God is false, That's not a true teaching, that's not true religion, and that's not God's wisdom. Earthly man thinks, earthly man does, and earthly man is void of God. You You have to receive Christ and have the Spirit of God in you to begin this vertical relationship. It's secondly this, it's unspiritual or natural. It's saying it's of the flesh. Its focus is exclusively on the temporal of things. The here and now, right? And you hear that resonating with just about everything that mankind says. Get all you can, can all you get, and keep all you can, right? It's all, it's all about the here and now. But that's not what God says. God says store up where moth and rust and thieves can't destroy, right? We have, we have a different perspective. We have an eternal perspective. So they're two completely different perspectives when it comes to God's wisdom and man's wisdom. We don't, the here and now is not our goal. The goal is not to have it all now. Um, as you can talk to our buddy, Tom, uh, there's no U-Haul behind a Hertz. You know, you don't get to take none of it with you. It's going to go to somebody else. It doesn't matter how nice your Hurts is. You still get nothing. You know what I'm saying? From ashes to ashes. And so he's saying, have the right perspective. Use the kind of wisdom that makes sense and store up here where it's going to make a difference. Because everything down here is just going to be allocated and dispersed to everyone else. And it doesn't make a difference. And ultimately, he calls it demonic. Now, this is harsh. This is a very harsh term, but what he's ultimately saying is it's, it's, it's very much demon-like. Now think of the um, story we had a couple of months ago about Legion. You guys remember the story about Legion, where he encountered Jesus and he knew who he was, so he's a demonic-possessed person, and he sees Jesus, and he says, what will you have with me, son of man, right? So the demon fully acknowledges who Jesus is, full knowledge of who he is, son of God, his role, everything like that but is completely devoid of what faith wisdom so you can be fully knowledgeable of who Jesus Christ is what he does where he lives and his entire role but you can be fully void of the wisdom of God and make that transition to see how Jesus needs to be involved with your life and what is ro- and if you have that situation then even with the brilliance of a demonic person who knew everything there was about who Jesus was it's false It's a false faith. It's a false wisdom. And how many people get led astray by people who have a full understanding of who Jesus is and know every Bible verse there is, but they're void of that spirit of God to tell them how to use that and how to apply that. You see that in a lot of the sciences today, people that are brilliant and have these minds that are full of knowledge and wisdom, but they're void of that transition to take that knowledge and wisdom and let it be applied into their lives, right? And he says, look, these are, all the diff- these are the things you're going to be looking for to find bad fruit. 16. For where you find these things, you're going to find envy and selfish ambition. Envy and selfish ambition are not good things. They're not the kind of things you want to be finding. These kind of things lead to situations that are not good for anybody. They lead to things like confusion. They lead to things that are, are things that are opposed to who God is. Order is one of the things that God has and He loves but when you find envy and selfish ambition, you ultimately find the situation where you find disorder. Disorder refers to this. It's the idea that everything is working against everything. There's no common sense of one another. There's no mutual cooperation. Everyone gets to work for what everyone deems appropriate. And you can already tell where that's going to lead. If we are left to our own volition of our own accord, and I tell you, you do what you think's right. Every one of you do what you think's right in your own mind. Void of the wisdom of God, boy, would we all be in trouble, right? Even in a church, sometimes with the wisdom of God, it can be difficult to all get on the same page and remind ourselves what's important. And he says, hey, look, if the body's not not in unity, if there's just rivalry within the body of God, this is not the kind of wisdom from God that you want. This is the kind of wisdom that comes from man. And the results of this is every evil practice. What's an evil practice? He says it's, it's the equivalence of opening just Pandora's box on man's heart and saying, you know what? What do you want? What is, the, what is the desire of your heart? You want money? You want power? You want prestige? Then you have the ability now with this knowledge that you've gleaned over people to use that to have a butterfly fly in your service and have that moment. And out the window it goes again. Is that one of those remote-controlled butterflies? It's a drone butterfly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so what he's saying is that if you had the ability to just release mankind and mankind could do whatever you want without the wisdom of God, one spirit all that you would have is one spirit, and the spirit would be the spirit of strife. The one spirit that would ultimately overtake is the spirit of strife. And that's not what you want, and that's not what you need. So he says, what are we looking for? What ultimately is the fruit that we need to see? What are the qualifications of God's wisdom? We've talked about all the things that it's not. What about what it is? And starting in 17, he's going to start with, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is this. It's first of all, pure. Now, I love this. Um, I am not a cook by any trait. But I, I had this example of purity given to me about nine years ago in my ministry. And so whenever it comes to purity, we always give credit to Pastor Tom in the, in the world-famous brownie episode. So this is not mine. So Pastor Tom shared this with me many, many years ago, and I share it with you. You were about to embark on the greatest brownie journey ever. You have gone online and ordered $200 per ounce. Giordelli special edition chocolates. You've you've gathered the finest butters and sugars, and together in your mixer, you are creating the greatest brownies your family will ever have. It's going to be an awesome, glorious moment because the purity of this brownie mix is just like nothing else. Inadvertently, a giant, and I mean not just regular size, but a giant housefly lands on the side of the bowl during the mixing process, and due to the vortex of your mixer, it's swallowed in. You are confronted at that moment with three options. <laughs> One, stop and pour your mix out into this thing called a strainer and hope that that giant housefly strains out beautifully out of the mix, thus saving your $200, $400 mix of brownies and then cooking your brownies and going for the best. Two, go ahead and cook your brownies as is and simply warn the people who eat the world's greatest brownies that someone inadvertently will eat a special bite of brownie that will be totally vile. And inside that vial will be contained one large housefly, but every other bite will be perfect. Or three, what most human beings would do, walk over to your bowl with teardrops in your eyes, head for your sink, and pour it out. Because one housefly, even in the world's greatest mix of brownies, equals vile. Purity is one of those things that we have to think about something. As believers in Christ, we have to be pure. And the kind of purity that God requires from us is not partially pure, right? It's head to toe purity. And so the very first thing that James wants to sit on, it's so important that you sit on this too and just think about it. Everything's going to flow from purity, If you're not a pure person, if purity hasn't been something that's important to you, then just sit with this point today and think about what it means to be pure. Because from purity... Everything flows. The next thing that flows from that is peace loving. You can see that if purity is what's coming from you, the natural overflow of that is you're going to be peace loving. You're going to have the opportunity to create peace amongst you and amongst other brothers and sisters, not just in the church, not just in your marriage, but with other friends and other family members. It's going to be something that's a natural flow from you. From that as well, you're going to be what? Considerate. Someone who has moderation, able to take things in and see how everyone plays a role, right? There's a book from Chuck Colson called Being the Body, and everyone has to see their role and be able to play their role. And if you don't appreciate the ears and the fingers don't appreciate the hands, and if any part of the body starts to fight against the body, there's a serious problem for the body. The body needs to see that all components of it work together for it to function as one. And we, the church, need to see that same thing, too. And that's God's wisdom allowing us to see the value of each one of us and how we we contribute. Now, I'm not saying that in a church service everything should be perfectly clear. But, I mean, it does make sense to me. Like, for instance, let's just say worship when it comes to worship. Sometimes when we say worship, we all think singular thought. But when it comes to worship, I, I say worship's more like an umbrella that covers the fullness of the service. And we need to see it like that, that worship is when we pray, worship is when we sing, worship is when we tithe, worship is when we read, worship is when we serve, and then it takes the onus off it being just something that you and me perceive. But these are all things that are going to come from God's wisdom. It's submissive. It's not stubborn. It doesn't have to be obstinate. It doesn't have to say my way or the highway. It can be open to other opinions and other views, realizing that no matter how we end up coming together, we're all going to agree on one thing. The most important thing is to go, to make, and to teach, right? Because that's the great commission. That's what we've been called to do. We have a limited time offer to present the gospel to other people. It's full of mercy. It's able to show compassion, it's reminding itself that somebody once showed compassion to me. I mean, I find that very interesting that we, people who are sinners ourselves, have been forgiven. How often we're unable to show compassion to other people. Have we not forgotten the compassion that was shown to us when we were sinners? When we were when we were astray? Let's not forget where we come from. So that we can always have that ability to show that to other people. It's a good fruit. It's proof that the seed that was sown in darkness now is showing itself in the light. Too often we want to tell people about our faith. And what James is saying, don't just tell them about your faith. Live out your faith. Let your faith show your faith. Remember Eric's example last week of the lemon tree that basically had giant thorns? I mean, he can call that tree whatever he wants. For me, I call that tree firewood, right? That tree is no value to me. It's not going to exist at my house. A tree that doesn't produce fruit is a firewood and that's it. It needs to go. And that's what he's saying. Everything's going to be pruned. Everything will be checked and you need to check it yourself. Just because you say you're a wonderful fruit bearing tree. If it's just thorns coming off you, you, you got to suck it up and deal with it and say something's wrong with what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And so Lord help me to bear fruit. Once again, he's saying on on top of that, it's going to be impartial. It's not going to be moved by self-interest. It doesn't matter how people see me because I don't fear men, right? That's not what I need to fear. I fear God. And if we go back to Proverbs 1-7, what's the result of fearing God? It's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So that's the appropriate perspective to have. If I'm worried what man thinks, if I'm worried what people think, then I've already thrown the wisdom balance off. And even though I'm trying to seek knowledge, I'm gaining knowledge from man. I'm not getting knowledge from God. I want knowledge that comes from God, and I want the wisdom that comes from the Spirit. And I want those two to have the kind of influence in my life that it had in Solomon's life. And the ultimate result of that is sincerity, a life without hypocrisy. A life that doesn't require you to pretend or live behind a mask. How many of you want that? How many of you want to live a life transparent and able to just say, this is the way that I am, this is the way that I think, and this is the way that I do. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, I'm a fisherman. I'm sorry. I've owned a business, I've been a businessman, I've done that. That's great, but you know what? I would take hanging out with you and fishing than I would anything else. Because to me, when life is simple and we can watch the sunset, whether we're catching stuff or not, if we're just hanging out and doing life, I understand why he recruited us. We're really good at just hanging out and doing life. And so this weekend, I had a chance to hang out with one of our young adults and just hang out and watch the sunset and just fish. And there's something about sincerity, about just being a person of sincerity and just hang out and do life. And that's more important than telling about, oh my, I have this religious degree and I have this religious degree and I know this. And that doesn't, that's not what he called us to do. Just hang out and be available and live life. The seeds that are sown in the darkness will show themselves in the light. Be a believer. Don't just talk belief. And the end result of this is verse 18. The fruit, this is the true fruit, is this goal is that you would become a peacemaker who sows in peace and reaps a harvest of righteousness. Sowing in peace, reaping a harvest of righteousness. Now, when it comes to peacemaking and peacekeeping, let me just share with you, there is a huge difference. We are not called to be peacekeepers. Peacekeepers, we are not called that. We are called Matthew 5, 9 to say peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. So let's take a moment and walk down the difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping, because somehow I think we've got the two of these really confused. Now, when it comes to peacemaking and peacekeeping, when it comes to peacekeeping, we get the idea that in order to keep the peace, we kind of got to take one for the team. Whatever we need to do to keep the peace, right, we'll do. And if that means cover the truth, Side skirt the truth or kind of go around the truth. Whatever we gotta do, we'll do. We're more like a hired hand who's trying to just get people through, right? And what happens is we kind of feel like we're kind of getting it done and we're kind of getting everybody through. But the end results of peacekeeping is people have a lot of broken feelings, a lot of disconnected feelings, a lot of resentment. And what happens is people now start becoming passive aggressive because no one ever actually said the truth, exposed the truth. And so instead of keeping the peace, the peace is now completely gone and out the door. And the end results for both sides is there's no peace. And that's why God says, don't try to keep the peace, make peace. Now I'm going to give you three things that are exclusively and uniquely different to that. The first one is this a peacemaker, going back to verse 14, is fully committed to truth telling. Fully committed. We cannot deny the truth. Remember verse 14 said someone who denies the truth, bends the truth. I talked about a fisherman who deny the truth or bends the truth. We have to be fully committed to telling the truth. That means if I offend someone or I hurt someone, I have to be willing to go to them and say, obviously I have said something to you and it's offended you. Would you please forgive me? Because that, although it's not easy, is how God says we do it. And when we do that, it, it offers them the opportunity to see that I'm being someone who's honest and sincere. And God says, when we do that, when we keep ourselves from hiding away from the truth and we make ourselves vulnerable and we say, you know what? You're important to me. Me being right is not the most important thing. And us being together is the most important thing. Would you allow me to make peace with you? God blesses that, blesses that situation. And instead of withholding intimacy, the two of us grow closer from that. Any person that you've ever asked for forgiveness from, you are no longer distant from them. You will be by default closer to them. Secondly, this, a peacemaker is humble enough to pray for a person who has hurt them. Okay, Not pray at a person who has hurt them and saying, Lord, you know person X or person Y and they've really bothered me. It's time that they get what they got coming. Can you put that in motion? That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. (laughs) Some of that makes perfect sense right? It's more like this. You know, Lord, person X or person Y has been placed in my life strategically for a reason, and man, are they under my skin. So could I ask you to do something? Would you work on my skin? Would you work on the irritation that it's causing in me to help me appreciate that person? Because I realize you love people more than you love irritation. And I can't see that me and this person fighting is how ultimately you want us to be. If you created us as your image bearers, as we've been saying, and we're supposed to be in communication and relationship together, this is brokenness. So I need you not to pray to change them, but I pray that you would work on changing me. And you know what always happens? He doesn't always change their heart. He doesn't always do that. But he always changes your heart. Always. Always. And he'll make peace with you. And he'll say, you know what? I'm going to give you a different perspective. I'm going to give you the ability to see the value of who that person is in your life and what they're doing for you. And sometimes they will change. But regardless of what happens to them, you change, right? I don't know if you guys have ever been on a missions trip, but this kind of same perspective happens. You go on a mission trip to help people, right? Any of you ever been there mentally? So I took 25 kids to New Orleans after the, after the hurricanes, we were going to go help the poor people over there, you know? Those people helped our kids more than we ever helped any of them. And to the degree that we came back, their lives were so changed that most of those kids who came back and ended up going into ministry or wanting to become missionaries, it was because those people changed our attitudes. We didn't change their attitudes. Does that make sense? And that's God's wisdom. He's saying peacemakers don't have the option of saying, I'm going to do this, and that's just the way that it is. There's no reason to be stubborn. God's wisdom is already superior to ours. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He says, hey, look, I got it situated. Make peace with everyone. Show love to everyone. I love that God does that. The most valuable thing we have is not being right. It's being in a right relationship. Does that make sense? It's not that you're right. That's not your goal to be right. God is already right. Our goal is to be in a right relationship. Even if that means you humbly submitting yourself to someone who's not treating you well. Finally a peacemaker is this is someone who pursues reconciliation even at the risk of their own comfort. Avoidance is not peacemaking. Keeping the one and others together is our highest priority. So when you avoid conflict you can never build intimacy. If you think okay I have a problem with my mom or I have a problem with my family so I'm just not going home for Christmas. Do you really think that by the beginning of January you're going to be closer to your family? No one who's ever avoided a conflict or an issue has ever become closer to anyone no marriage relationship in this room or in anywhere in this state country or world is going to get better when you simply say if i avoid the situation if i don't talk about the situation if i don't if i admit the situation doesn't exist then it will go away and it'll get better none of that has ever been proven to be true or a representation of god's wisdom we are by default called to allow god's wisdom to come in and say you know what clear that this is a difficult situation, clear that this is uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to clearly submit this to God and I'm going to put it at his feet because obviously this is something that God has allowed in my life. And so I'm just going to humbly put it before him and say, bigger than me. But I I can't have this. I can't have a broken relationship in my life. So I'm going to submit my marriage. I'm going to submit my friendship. I'm going to submit my work relationship. I'm going to submit whatever it is that you're allowing in my life because I'm willing to see the value of being a peacemaker. And you call me to be a peacemaker. You say blessed is a peacemaker. I want to be someone who's blessed by my father. Sometimes the only way we can get to what God is actually showing us is to embrace the actual conflict that exists in our life. Now, I happen to be someone who was in a terrible conflict with someone. My former partner and me, when we lost the business, we were in a terrible conflict for many years. And then I finally got my ministry job and all that. I told my wife one day, I just let it go. It wasn't that he did anything different. He was, he was very antagonistic to my family and said a lot of mean and terrible things. But I just made peace with it one day and said, I couldn't carry it anymore. The burden of being right was not worth it. And I don't know how God's wisdom finally broke through to my knucklehead, but I finally just decided to let it go. So I got in my car, I drove back to Anaheim, and I waited for him in the parking lot. And when he got out of the car, I had this pocket knife that my dad had given me when I was in high school. It was a very expensive uh, Japanese knife, an Almar um, pocket knife, and I'd been keeping it for many years. And when Dan got out of the car, I said, you know what, Dan, I just wanted you to know something. I forgive you, and I love you, and I hope the best for you, and I want you to have something from me to just remind you that no matter what happens with the company, no matter what you said to me, no matter why you think all those things, I forgive you, and I'm sorry that it ever came to this. And I want you to keep this pocket knife that I've had for years that my dad gave to me. It's something of value to me, to remember me by. And he says, I want you to know something. About two years ago, in light of all these other things you are saying, I accepted Christ. And I'm actually involved in a men's ministry here in Brea. And I take my son to youth group on a regular basis. And I just could never muster the words to call and tell you that. And I wanted to tell you how thankful I am that you, you, you held that line with me. And I wish I could have been a different partner. And I wish I could have said different things. And I'm grateful that you came today. And he's like, you know what? You don't have to give me that knife. You don't have to give me anything. I'm, I'm grateful that you came to me. I wish I could have come to you. And I said, you know what? doesn't matter. God is reconciled now between us, that which was broken. And both of us would have just stayed apart because it was easier. But you know what? I, I feel better. And I feel like the burden has been lifted. So you keep that. And best of luck to you. And so it's cool. Their business is, my business is still up there. It's still alive. And and I get to think about that every day. But you know what? I never really understood that until I got a chance to read this. The value of being a peacemaker is regardless of how the other person responds. Catch this. Regardless of how they respond, God blesses you. And and that's where you want to be. You want to be in a position where, regardless of how that other person is going to respond to God's word, you, as a follower of Christ, you hear it, and then you understand it, and then you bring the two together and you understand that knowledge is one thing, but the wisdom of how to correctly apply that means it's not what the other person does. It's how you respond. Right? And he, he calls us to be these peacemakers because we are going to reap and sow this harvest of righteousness. And so we respond, and regardless of what they do, God blessed me. And I ask you one final thing Does what I've shared with you today sound like foolishness or does it sound like wisdom? Because that's the option foolishness is what the world says when it comes to God's wisdom. That's what it sounds like. And so it really will sound either or for you. And I would just encourage you, if it sounds like foolishness, we need to pray. We need to talk because there's something about your spirit that's still opposed to God's word. But if it sounds like God's wisdom, then we need to figure out how you can be that and do that in your lives, in your life groups, at your work in your retirement, in your jobs, wherever you are, however you're doing it. Because that is ultimately what James is saying. I lived contrary to faith for half of my life, and then he gave me a second chance, and I did something with it every single day. I saw the value of doing something with it every single day, and he wants us to do something with it every single day. He says, it's worth it. The wisdom of God is worth it. Let me pray. father god i just thank you for the morning i thank you for the opportunity to study your word and to see the value of your wisdom and i know that as i was spending time with it this week so many different things were jumping off the pages and so many different little one-liners here and one thoughts here and even maybe just the thought about just being pure in my life and how what a struggle that i don't i don't feel pure i don't i don't i still don't understand how jars of clay are called to be pure but yet it's something that you do. It's something that you work out. And so I just pray that if there's anyone in the room today who's, who's been wrestling with their wisdom, with their knowledge, and they've been really leaning into that and really trusting that they know enough to, to kind of get them through life and that they've figured out enough things to kind of understand right from wrong, that they would hear that today and realize that is completely contrary to what the Word of God says, that you say, lean not into your own understanding, but in always acknowledge Him and he will direct your path. We have to remove ourselves from the equation of thinking that we figured something out or that we're able to even do anything. We cannot do anything. It's unmerited favor. There's nothing that can be say or done to earn the favor of God. All we can do is simply receive your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has completed on the cross for us. And I pray today, Father, that that simple truth of knowledge and wisdom would transition for people, that they would be free to to be able to make more connections between knowing stuff about God and how they can actually use that, rather than saying, I know. It's just not enough to know. We, we, our IQs and our I do's, they need to be synchronized. And we really need to be people that are living our faith and showing our faith, not just talking about it or having it stored away for some rainy day. I pray, Father, that you would find favor in us, that you would provide the wisdom that we need to show people the love that you have already shown us, to make us sons and daughters. If there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that this morning you would break them through to the other side as you knock on their door. We ask it all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.